0: You are tuned to The Conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. This is Catherine Cruz. This morning, U.S. Army General Charles Flynn issued an order essentially declaring that 135 families in the Red Hill neighborhoods are cleared to return home and use their tap water. It comes on the heels of the declaration by the State Health Department and the Environmental Protection Agency that the flushing sampling results provided by the military in that first neighborhood were validated and thus safe to drink. Here's Deputy Environmental Health Director Kathleen Ho talking at a news conference yesterday afternoon.
1: The water in Red Hill housing zone I-1 is safe to drink. The work has included careful examination of how the system works, verifying that the contaminated water is no longer entering the system and flushing and testing to make sure that no contamination remains in the system. We understand that many people are still, still have questions and that's totally understandable, based on what the Navy's system users have experienced. Data on testing in Zone I-1, and the documents that DOH used to make its decision are available online. If people observe an unusual smell or taste in their water, please contact DOH, and we will investigate. We are also overseeing a long-term monitoring plan to test the Navy's water system for several years. Be prepared to be more specific on how, as we evaluate other zones, we will continue to act in a manner that is methodical, based on science and proactive and protective of public health. But as the governor said, we can never allow a disaster like this to happen again. As long as there is fuel in the Red Hill tanks, there remains eminent peril TO ALL WATER DRINKERS. WE WILL FIGHT TO ENSURE THAT THE NAVY COMPLIES WITH OUR EMERGENCY ORDER. THANK YOU. AND EARLIER
0: TODAY, AS WE MENTIONED, uh, ARMY GENERAL FLYNN uh, canceled THE EMERGENCY EVACUATION ORDER FOR THIS FIRST NEIGHBORHOOD WHERE PREDOMINANTLY ARMY FAMILIES LIVE. We talked to Army Colonel Scott Galloway. He's a chief of staff of the Ohana Task Force. We talked about the steps that are being taken to take care of those military families who have been living in hotel rooms in Waikiki for nearly three months.
2: Well, the order this morning specifically terminated the emergency evacuation authorization for residents of Red Hill. So we have about 135 homes in in Red Hill. And what this did was terminate um, that evacuation authorization, which means which means that, that here in the next couple of days, the financial compensation that they were receiving for living in hotels will no longer be authorized. And, so, and that was in response to the Hawaii Department of Health amending the health advisory for Red Hill.
0: Right. So with the all clear for those homes in that one neighborhood, then you know, for those families that were uh, in those Waikiki hotels, they can now go home and, and, and use the tap water.
2: That, that's exactly right so the, the DOh you know amended the advisory has announced that the water is, is clean and safe for use for drinking and so this is, that's exactly what it does it it, it removes or, or terminates that that authorization for for them to live down at uh, in Waikiki while we why we worked on the, the issue
0: so the 48 hours where they moved back in that was then what as of this morning
2: that, that's right the termination letter essentially went out this morning but we know that family members have have work and life events and and other things that may preclude them from going back like right away so so we provide an additional you know two calendar days uh, that will carry out through Thursday morning so that family members can can plan their return back um, and, and so it's convenient for them
0: and so are they being notified what by email
2: we've been notifying our family members through multiple ways so there's a essentially like a a, a uh, uh, through the housing partner, we can send text messages directly to all residents. So we've done that. We've we've put the announcement on social media, and we also now have um, uh, soldiers in the neighborhoods knocking on doors, um, giving each of our residents a welcome packet if they're there. Uh, but we again, we're, we're sort of flooding the zone with with um, with our. 25th ID soldiers down there helping families as they transition back uh, into Red Hill.
0: Okay, so it's just a, a welcome back, welcome home kind of outreach.
2: That's exactly right. So we've, we've established a few things. One is, is as as family members come back into the Red Hill housing area, we we, they, we will have soldiers that meet them in the neighborhoods with a welcome packet that provides a resource guide and some additional information bulletins. On, on claims, on financial entitlements and processing, and, um, and if the, just general bulletins on things that they may have questions about. We've also established a Family Assistance Center which, is, which will be open starting from 8 o'clock in the morning till 8 o'clock at night and it provides a whole host of services. One, one of them is financial processing to close out their entitlements so that all of our residents have, have, have accumulated uh, on their government travel cards you know the hotel bills will settle those. We can we also have uh, claim services. We have uh, army community services, so a whole host of services down there to support our residents.
0: And is that at AMR?
2: That's at the AMR community center. That's correct.
0: Okay. And so you know there has been some concern expressed by families that they're still maybe not comfortable yet. I don't know, uneasy given what they've been through. And I know at your last town hall meeting there were were some statements made that you know, gosh, if you want your water s- tested, resampled, you know, because you might smell fuel or, or something off, that uh, you folks were going to have equipment to, ready to do that.
2: Correct. So, you know, we are very confident the water is clean and safe, and we have been working on this for almost three months now, and it's been a very comprehensive process. So we have flushed all the distribution lines running in around the neighborhood. We have flushed every home, some of them multiple times. We have tested the distribution system and we've tested uh, homes, and so we're we're confident the water's clean. Now that being said, if residents have any concerns and they want their house tested, all they have to do is ca- is call the task force Ohana hotline and we'll schedule a testing. We have the capacity as you just highlighted. We have the capacity and the capability to do that. And this residence, all they need to do is call.
0: And we heard from the EPA that they sent out uh, some type of mobile laboratory uh, to help with the sampling. You know, I think uh, the Army said you, you know you folks were getting uh, some equipment of your own, and and so did the Navy. And and it's small equipment, you know, like a, a suitcase, a, a luggage size, as opposed to some really large setup somewhere.
2: That's correct. So right now, most of our sampling and testing. Our samples are sent to a third-party laboratory in the United States, and that takes a little bit of time to get the results back, about seven to ten days, you know, on average. But now as we move to – we do have this new mobile capability called Site Lab, and that capability will allow us to test for total petroleum hydrocarbons on site, and we can do that test for our residents.
0: And, you know, driving through some of those neighborhoods, I did notice signs that said, you know, congressionally mandated water testing is ongoing in the, uh, I think, Halsey Terrace, Moanalua Terrace that I saw. Are you folks doing additional testing, you know, for any chemicals that may have, been, uh, may have turned up in that kind of review and survey of the water quality?
2: Yes, as part of that uh, 10% sampling that we, that we did through this flushing process, we tested for other chemicals, we certainly did that. So additional analytes were tested and all of that information is publicly available and we're posting that as we get the results back. Um, So that's, and and that is, you know, part of the long-term monitoring plan that the Navy is is putting in place once the DOH amends the health advisory.
0: Yes, and we heard, you know, from DOH and EPA yesterday, you know, that yeah, this is going to take a few years to kind of, you know, work its way through just to make sure that, you know, the water that, that everybody's drinking is safe.
2: Yes, the Navy does have uh, a 24-month or 2-year long-term monitoring plan that they have put in place. And so our residents in Red Hill and AMR will will benefit from that. We'll use that. We'll be part of that long-term monitoring plan.
0: And because this is the first neighborhood, I guess there, you know, a lot of eyes are on the process. And then I guess if things need to get tweaked as we roll out other neighborhoods, uh, I guess that'll be done?
2: Absolutely. So every, every time we, we do something, we want to see how we can do it better the next time. But you know, our, we, we have prepared for this. Uh, we've been preparing for this for, for two to three months now. We're excited about it, um, just the opportunity to bring our families back home with clean and safe water that that's been our goal from the beginning here. And it's been our focus from the beginning. And so, you know, the, the soldiers that are down in, in red Hill right now, helping uh, our families back into their homes. So we're ecstatic about this um, and and really excited um, to, to learn from it and then, and to share those lessons, not, not only across the teams that are doing it within the army neighborhoods, but also with the Navy.
0: And what's the plan for the water wagons and the laundry facility setup? You know, th- those things have been in place for a while now, you know, throughout the different neighborhoods. But will they stay up for any length of time or will you just start decommissioning those in the Red Hill area?
2: Well, in, in the Red Hill and AMR area, the um, the bulk and, and bottled water distribution sites are at the AMR shop at. And so we will keep those until... AMR residents are back into their homes, and so Red Hill residents will be able to use that site as well. And once we're at a point where the DOH amends the health advisory and we can bring residents back into AMR Red Hill, we will look at uh, terminating those services, because they're no longer necessary.
0: Okay. But uh, yeah, I know that uh, you know, a lot of work went into that with the, uh, with the Marines and the uh, you know, Army you know, getting those in place in that time of need.
2: Absolutely. Across the board, a tremendous amount of effort um, went into, in a very short order, to to establish all those sites. And we started with, much of that was provided by uh, military service members. And then we transitioned over time to contracts uh, to provide some of those capabilities. We're very excited today. I mean, this is a a big milestone for us. And success for us through this whole process was bringing uh, families home with clean and safe water. And we're we're there with Red Hill. A lot of work has to be done and continue. We need to continue focus on on AMR and what we can do to help our residents and those that have concerns. You know, we certainly want to uh, take those on on a case-by-case basis, but but just a great day uh, for our Red Hill families.
0: That was U.S. Army Colonel Scott Galloway talking to us about the steps being taken to Make the transition for this first group of military families easier as they get settled back in their homes. Supported Hawaii Public Radio. Now it's time for your backyard quiz. <laughs> conversation marks its 11th anniversary this week so we are going back to the beginning for our backyard quiz back in 2011 Bishop Museum hosted an exhibit of a major Hawaiian deity this God represents half of the sexual duality needed to create a harmonious whole the exhibit consisted of three statues which had previously resided in different areas of the world one came from the British Museum in London another was on loan from the Peabody Essex Museum in Salem Massachusetts Noel, Noel Kahanu, former project manager at Bishop Museum, worked for two years to bring them to Honolulu where they could be reunited with the third in the Bishop Museum's collection. These three figures are the last ones of their size known to remain. Each stands over six feet tall and weighs close to 800 pounds. The exhibit also coincided with the 200th anniversary of Kamehameha's unification of the Hawaiian Kingdom in 1810 so for today's backyard quiz do you know the name of this deity stay tuned we'll have the answer for you a little later in the show but if you know call 808-941-3689 or 877-941-3689 the first one to get it right gets a reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right
3: Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Nayread Hawaii, which is committed to supporting nonprofits providing senior rental housing for veterans in the islands, such as EAH Housing, NayreadHawaii.com.
4: Hey there, it's DJ Mr. Nick. You may know me from Bridging the Gap, the eclectic music show that airs weekdays from 10 p.m. to midnight on HPR 1. Oh, you're asleep by then, you say? Too late for you? Well, not to worry. My show and many other HPR music programs can be streamed on demand whenever you want, no matter your bedtime. For the full list, head to our website.
0: Drug overdoses now kill more than 100,000 Americans a year, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. That's more than vehicle crashes and gun deaths combined. Here in Hawaii, in the 12 months preceding June 2021, over 200 residents died of drug overdoses, many of them opioid-related. In an effort to help curb this crisis, local advocates reached out to Hawaii's congressional delegation earlier this month in support of new legislation aimed at providing alternatives to prescribing opioids. Brian Telesayan, the executive director of Mental Health America of Hawaii, was among those advocates. He sat down with The Conversation's Russell SubiONO this morning to provide a snapshot of opioid use in our islands.
4: I think similar trends in Hawaii, Russell. I think in the 12 months ending in June 2021, there were 255 Hawaii residents who died from a drug overdose, according to the CDC, which seems small, but it's it's, it's proportionate to the mainland, right? So it's actually pretty significant. And about three quarters or about 75% of those deaths were related to opioid drug
5: use. Do you think enough is being done about opioid use in the islands, or do you feel like more can be done? Well, I think always
4: there can be more to be done, right? I, I think people are doing the law, law enforcement, lawmakers are doing what what they can to to make sure that the opioid crisis in Hawaii is addressed. You know, I think there is several laws during the, the legislative session right now looking at requiring additional education when prescribing opioid medications, but also looking at, you know, standardized metrics. I don't know how successful those measures would be, you know, but nationally there is some legislation currently, which is I think what we'll talk about a little bit today trying to make an impact on on opioid addiction because the vast majority of opioid addiction comes from prescribed medications you know and I think some of that potentially leads to heroin addiction and so forth. So I think there's always going to be something that that can be done um, additional and I think as we see the the numbers of opioid deaths opioid addictions increase we're probably going to have to continue to to be more innovative in addressing the issues.
5: I know that you spoke with Hawaii US Senator Schatz and Hirono earlier this month as part of a virtual roundtable of yes. local advocates about the need to address the opioid epidemic in Hawaii and nationwide. Can you share more about that experience and what you expressed to our senators? Sure, sure of course, yes. We uh,
4: I had the opportunity to sit down with um, some staff from Senator Schatz and Senator Hirono's offices to, to discuss this public health crisis, of course. Fortunately, right now, there is some legislation currently pending in the U.S. House and Senate that would be able to improve, potentially improve or reduce opioid addiction in the country. And it's called the Non-Opioids Prevent Addiction in the Nation or No Pain Act. It's a bipartisan piece of legislation that's designed to increase patient and provider access to non-opioid approaches to acute pain management. So basically what that means is that right now, I think, for some hospitals, you know, I think the, the the default option is opioid treatment for pain management, particularly post-surgery. And, and you know these are are not because of carelessness. It's it's specific policies established within Medicare that that this legislation is looking to to change. So, it does, and this bill, the, the No Pain Act, it's quite innovative actually, and it's designed to better incentivize uh, the use of non opioid pain management approaches by uh, improving insurance coverages for these therapies. The act aims to minimize unnecessary levels of exposures to opioids and, and reduce the likelihood of opioid misuse following an acute pain incident like surgery, inpatient or outpatient surgery. So during the roundtables, I I urged Senators Mezi Haruno and Brian Schatz, in addition to the entire Hawaii congressional delegation, actually to support this bill, because we're very supportive of it.
5: What was their reaction to this roundtable?
4: Sure. You know, they were very receptive to hearing it out, you know, and I think they, they they all agreed to look much closer at the act and get more information on it. There was no firm decision by their staffers at that time. But they did understand that opioid addiction is a critical issue for Hawaii and, and nationwide actually. And, and you know, they did, they, they were receptive to, to what we were sharing with them.
5: So it sounds like, like the legislation will help doctors and patients find other ways to manage pain outside Of using opioids. Why are they prescribed there? Are they just the best painkillers out there?
4: You know, first I want to emphasize, Russell, that we're not anti opioids because they can be very effective treatments for for acute pain. But really, what this act is addressing is policies within Medicare that prevent hospitals from prescribing certain types of medications that are non opioid. It's really a packaging issue, and it gets really, really boring. You know, the more you get into the detail of the the actual policies, but that's kind of what this legislation is looking at: two specific parts of Medicare that would allow hospitals to offer these alternative methods of of pain management. And there's quite a few. You know, these are not new pain management treatments, they've always been around. It's just hospitals can't afford, nor should they be dependent on for providing those alternative therapies if they're not able to recoup the, recoup the expenses associated with them. So right now, the almost by default, opioid are the, the, the primary method of treating pain in, in the hospital setting.
5: Do you get the feeling that there's like a bigger movement for doctors to move away from opioids or at least to be more conservative with prescribing them?
4: I'm not sure um, that there's any sort of trends for 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 clinicians to move away from prescribing opioid medications because like I mentioned, they they can be very effective in managing pain. you know, dentists, primary care providers, hospital setting all depend on different types of opioid medications to treat pain. I don't know if you've ever had severe pain or not, but it's it's quite unbearable, you know, and I think really um, it, it's 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 the clinician's decision with his or her patient. Or their patient to determine what's going to work best to manage that individual's pain. You know, I think with some medications, I remember going to a doctor who I loved previously, and my pain tolerance is extremely, extremely low you know and so i was prescribed a pain medication and and I, and I took it and it was wonderful you know i but but this clinician is also very conservative in prescribing so i only got like maybe 3 days worth of pain medication you know and i think just looking at that changing the way clinicians prescribe might be something that could also make a huge impact on the opioid crisis but again you know i think it's really dependent on on the clinician and their relationship with their patient and and their patient's tolerance of pain and the medical condition as well so i think it's really hard to say in general, that that clinicians are are moving away from prescribing opioids. I don't think that's the case. I think they're using the, their clinical judgment and prescribing these medications when necessary. But they're medications that are just so addictive, and it's so easy to get addicted to them. You know, so I think for longer term pain management, I think you know the clinician would have to, uh, probably be more interested in having more frequent visits with with the
5: patient. When it comes to an epidemic or such a widespread type of crisis there are multiple actions that need to be taken. I imagine that the No Pain Act is one part of helping to curb the epidemic. I'm sure educating people in general about the dangers of opioids, empowering law enforcement to prosecute those that break the law. Turning to our youth, last year I talked to a recovering drug addict from Kauai about the extent of fentanyl use on the garden Isle, And one thing he said to me has stuck with me, When kids don't have an outlet to process trauma, they keep it bottled up. And when they go looking for a way to feel good, it makes them open to things like drugs, specifically opioids. Are you aware of any preventative efforts to address this avenue to opioid addiction?
4: No, I think there are multiple ways, you know, I think, and and, and that's a very powerful statement. And I, I think it's really accurate. Research has shown that when, Youth are exposed to adverse childhood experiences or or trauma in their childhood, they do have an increased chance of experiencing negative mental health outcomes, increased use of substance use, and increased suicide ideation as well. I think whether or not there can be a blanket approach beyond increasing accessibility to mental health services for youth. I, I don't know, So, t- to be quite honest, you know, I think the, the research is, is is out there, it's pretty profound, actually, that the more provision of wellness and resilience that we can offer youth who have been exposed to some sort of traumatic experience during their their, their younger years, the, the better chance of improving the quality of, of their health outcomes later in life. You know, and I think sometimes we look at trauma as sexual assault or murder or homicide, but really, Trauma could be isolation from the pandemic. You know, we don't know when that's gonna impact them. Trauma could also be the result of not being able to see their friends at their school or, or missing graduation or proms. You know, I mean, there's different levels of trauma that are affecting people in different ways. Um, that's why we've seen a, a huge increase throughout the pandemic and, and the sensation of grief because a lot of people are missing out on different types of important things in their lives. But yeah, that's a, that's a very powerful and profound statement that he made, and, and 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 I
5: agree. What's the best thing that we can do as family members, as neighbors, as the community, to help curb the opioid epidemic in Hawaii? Being aware of
4: of the medications our, our family are being prescribed. I think receiving additional education, whether it's through Google, um, there's a lot of information on Google on on proper ways to take medication, but really it's just checking in with your clinician. The clinicians who are prescribing these medications are the best source of education and and can provide you with the tools necessary to to make sure that the medication is being used properly. I think one thing that's important to note is that historically, I think a lot of prescribers and a lot of information out there currently actually historically would say stuff like, you know, the the best way to treat the pain is is to be proactive in, in taking your medication because Pain medications do work better that way, ibuprofen, Tylenol and whatnot do work better if they're taken Mm -hmm. proactively or preemptively as opposed to when you're in in severe pain. You know, I think looking at our, our tolerance levels and also knowing where the resources are. You know, there's there's crisis resources available. The Hawaii CARES line is, is available locally. And there's some sub, sub, substance abuse issues, um, organizations that work towards reducing or eliminating these types of addictive behaviors. And, and there's so many resources out there that can be accessed. But I think the best thing to do is just really be well and, and understand what you're pr- being prescribed, understand what your family is being prescribed and identifying your friends and family who are having substance um, use crisis and, and offering your help, offering to sit down with them and, and seeing if they're, they're wanting to get help and they might not need help, you know, but it's, 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 it's always great to check in with your friends and family and, and let them that you care. And if they're struggling, then, then find resources to work with them on them.
0: That was Brian Telesayan, Hawaii's Executive Director of Mental Health America, talking with HPR's Russell SubiONO about efforts to curb the opioid epidemic in our islands.
3: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Blue Note Hawaii, located in the Outrigger Waikiki, presenting folk singer-songwriter Judy Collins, performing this Friday and Saturday. Information and tickets at bluenotehawaii.com. Are you service-minded?
4: HPR is looking for a full-time membership coordinator to give our station members and volunteers the care and support they deserve. If you love public radio and are ready to join our lively and highly interactive workplace, learn more on the Employment Opportunities page at HawaiiPublicRadio.org. Applications due by February 25th.
0: Civil Beats Reality Check today puts the spotlight on ethics in the film industry. Business reporter Stuart Yerton joins us live this morning. Good morning.
6: Good morning, Catherine.
0: So this is an update to a story that you did earlier.
6: Uh, that's right. So the story is the uh, film commissioner on Maui, uh, Tracy Bennett, got a part in a movie uh, made for television movie called Man Eater about a shark or something. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and um and people were concerned about it because they said wait a minute uh mr bennett has no acting experience this was during the pandemic a lot of people are out of work they said wait a minute he's taking away a job from somebody who really needs work and, and this is wrong and the screen actors guild spoke up and said look hey we're we have a contract it's supposed to be a guild person we never were able to figure out exactly what the situation there was. It was more a union production issue. But a uh, state representative, Sean Quinlan, stepped up and said, hey, this is wrong. And now uh, Representative Quinlan has a bill saying, uh, trying to make clear, if you're going to be a public official involved or public employee involved in dealing with the movie business, you can't be in a movie. Yeah. I so mean, that's what the bill would do.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it, it doesn't really look good. Right. <laughs> I mean, with, with all the ethics issues that we're dealing with uh, today. Uh, yeah. It, it just, I guess, wants to, to be real clear.
6: Right. He wants it to be really clear. And, and this was uh, part of the issue is that, well, people say, well, there is an ethics law and, and the ethics law should prevent this. Uh, the challenge and the problem that representative quinlan's having and that frankly we've been having in in the media is uh the maui ethics board uh won't respond to our queries asking hey did anything ever come of this was uh, mr bennett reprimanded was there any any kind of penalty
0: you know uh, i don't know Uh, what did mr bennett say did you reach out to him
6: well, yes he, he has never called me back or written back so we don't know what what he has to say uh, and we don't know what the corporation council um, which would who would deal with the uh, issue uh, has to say either because they don't call back either so we don't know what's going on
0: and so Quinlan's bill uh, how, how is that going
6: well it passed the first committee and it's on its way to the Finance Committee and uh, Chair Luke, uh, Sylvia Luke of the Finance uh, Committee Chair, has, is generally pretty skeptical and, and takes a, a hard look at uh, things like uh, incentives for movies and other businesses, so it's very possible that um, this bill could make it through. Uh, to clarify, what uh, Representative Quinlan has done is he said if the movie wants to get a an incentive, which is really a cash payment from the state worth 20% to 25% of how much the production spends here, um, if the production wants to get that money, they can't hire a public official involved in overseeing the movie business.
0: And your story talks about how, oh gosh, who was it? It was a it was the mayor of San Francisco, right, was in a similar situation?
6: <laughs> right. So the mayor of San Francisco. So one of the uh, uh, opponents of this bill, or one of the critics, says, "Wait a minute, this is fine. There's an ethics law that prohibits this sort of thing. It's unnecessary." And by the way, the mayor of San Francisco was in a recent in the recent Matrix movie. So see, uh, there's nothing wrong with this. And and again, uh, Representative Quinlan said, "No, there is something wrong. They, we don't need government officials." Um, involved in in the movies especially if they're um, we don't want government officials in the movies especially if they're involved in regulating or overseeing the movies somehow
0: so I guess by tweaking this tax law I mean I guess he sees as it's the that's the big stick
6: Right. That's the stick. That's the way in. That's the way the state government can have some um, authority over this. Uh, At least uh, that's how Representative Quinlan sees it, not trying to tweak the ethics law, but really saying, if you want the money uh, and you're making a movie and you want this money from the state, you can't hire government officials.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is perplexing that you haven't been able to get a response from uh, the, the main parties um so we're we're left with this and um we'll see where this bill goes huh
6: we'll see where it goes it's again it's only got one more one more hearing on the house side so we'll we'll see what happens
0: okay but yeah it it just uh, i guess there's an, an appearance <laughs> of uh of well, impropriety there
6: well well right there is an appearance of impropriety again we don't know what happened in the end and uh it looks like there are laws already at least on the county level this would be a maui the maui county um uh, i believe it's the county charter that would sort of prevent this thing but in any case there there are laws dealing with this but we just don't know what happened and representative quinlan says we'll know whatever laws there are we're going to add to it and make sure this doesn't happen
0: all right well we'll check on this progress but thanks so much Stuart.
6: Thank you, Catherine. And that
0: was reporter Stuart Yurtin with today's reality check. Uh, read the story online at civilbeat.org. after our coverage last week about the cesspool bribery scandal and hearing how homeowners need help to meet the deadline to convert Hawaii's almost 90,000 cesspools by 2050 we got a question on our talkback line we then reached out to a member of the cesspool of the state cesspool conversion working group for an answer
7: hello my name is Bobby Becker I had my cesspool in upcountry Maui converted three to four years ago I would have to look at the records and i've been trying ever since to get the tax credit that is supposedly promised by the state i would appreciate hearing uh from somebody on that working group what i can do to um i need assistance with getting the tax credit thank you so much aloha
8: hi bobby thanks for your question my name is Stuart coleman and i'm the executive director of vi wastewater alternatives and innovations and I also serve on the cesspool conversion working group. And the cesspool tax credit that you mentioned expired at the end of 2020. And so I'm not sure you know, that you could still get it even if you had all the paperwork turned in by then. But the good news is that there's a new bill, Senate Bill 2610, and that would be to reinstate the previous tax credit. And it would be retroactive. So you could get it through. Um, and so we're waiting for that to have a hearing. And so if you want to call Senator Gabbard's office or Senator Noe's office at the legislature, it's waiting a hearing in two committees, agriculture and the environment and water and land committees. But, again, the bill number is Senate Bill 2610, and we agree with you that, you know, the tax credits are great incentives for homeowners like you to get that. And so I think if we can pass this bill, and folks like yourselves can get that tax break. There's another tax break that's associated um, with two other bills that we have, SB-2995 and House Bill 1805, and those bills also include a tax break along with point-of-sale conversion. Hope that helps, and good luck.
0: And thank you for the feedback. If you have a comment about an interview on our show or have a story to share, email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Or caller or talk back line 8087928217 earlier in the show we asked you to name the Hawaiian deity who's Uh, Three statues were reunited in 2011 during a major exhibit at Bishop Museum. Before the exhibit, all of the statues were separated, and two of them hadn't been in Hawaii for decades. One was in London at the British Museum. The other was in the collection of the Peabody Essex Museum in Salem, Massachusetts. It was quite an undertaking to get them back to Honolulu. Each statue is over six feet tall and weighs close to 800 pounds. Once here, they were reunited with a third statue, also called a ki'i, that was in the Bishop Museum's possession. The three represent the Hawaiian deity whose name means rising upright. He represents the male half of the great ancestral gods of heaven and earth and is affiliated with female deity Hina. He is the god of uh, productivity, long life, good fishing, and family and national prosperity. If you guessed Ku, you're right. And, you know, after the exhibit, both statues returned to their prospective uh, museums. But in 2019, curators teamed up with cultural practitioners at the Peabody Essex Museum to create a new exhibit for their Ku statue. He now stands in their newest wing and faces west toward Hawaii. Congratulations to our winner, Ronnie from the volcano area. You got it right. That's today's quiz. If you have an idea of one, please send it to talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org.
3: Support for HPR comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, welcoming the community to experience Treasures of Devotion, Human Connection in Secular and Sacred Art, featuring works from the 14th century to present day. HonoluluMuseum.org.
7: Microsoft wants to acquire Activision Blizzard for almost $70 billion. Microsoft says it won't harm consumers, but is the mega-merger
4: a new kind of monopoly?
5: Does the human capacity to control these systems keep up with the growth of the new systems and their expansion over time?
7: Our series, More Than Money, The Cost of Monopolies in America, continues. That's on the
3: next On Point. Beginning this afternoon at two, following the world.
0: San Yamanaka may not have set out to be an author writing about serious themes like cultural alienation and abuse. But she says she also didn't really listen to her mother, who early on said she saw her daughter writing children's books. But Yamanaka's fighting her way, and this year published her first children's book entitled Snow Angel, Sand Angel.
7: My mother told me when I was a little girl that when I grew up, I would write children's picture books. But I went another path. And that took me to all of the other books that I wrote. But when I came full circle, you know, my mother was right. The hardest book to write is a children's picture book. And it was a challenge for me to try to to create one in that space, a very short space. That kind of describes a yearning that I had, a longing that I had. And I was inspired by Sandra Cisneros, who is... a wonderful Latina writer, she had this line in one of her little stories that started, Sometimes I Wish, and then I thought about that line, and then I finished the sentence, Sometimes I Wish that I Could See Real Snow. You know, and that brought me to my experiences on Mauna Kea, and what I had intended to do throughout my career is that um, to write literature where people and especially children could see themselves in literature. Because Daryl Lam, who is he's one of my literary heroes, he said once at a conference, until you see yourself in literature, you do not exist. And those words were so powerful to me because that captured the essence of my childhood. We weren't part of literature, I didn't see myself, I didn't see my family, my friends, my neighbors, and I didn't exist. So from that, I've kind of dedicated my whole writing career to giving space to the people of our island so that they can see themselves in literature, which is so powerful to to who to who we are and what we are and our culture and the place that we call home.
0: Well, I remember the first time that I made a snow angel, <laughs> and uh, you know, I love how you know you talk about yeah when you went up to Mauna Kea. It wasn't really the snow that you had envisioned in your mind. That wasn't the same experience. That you no, would imagine. not at
7: all. Because you know, when you are inundated by television, Frosty the Snowman plays every, every every Christmas, and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and you know, you see these snowy landscapes, and people like to send Christmas cards that are um, annoyingly glittered, you <laughs> yes. know, and then so when you open it, it falls all over your floor. But I found that to be so wonderful. It was like. Wow, you know the snow came out of the envelope and the glitter was all over me. And but I'd never seen real snow. By the time we get up to the got up to the mountain, and my dad took us with a four wheel drive to the summit. It was three days old because they closed the roads when the snow was falling. So the snow was hard, like like ice. Like we needed an ice pick to chip away it to make no combs which but the shave I that we got at it was way way better you know so i thought oh this is really disappointing (laughs) (laughs) and we couldn't run around like you know on tv the kids fled and they run to the top of the hill they can ride down and then but if we ran around we got nauseated because of altitude sickness that's right and so we would throw up (laughs) so it was definitely not what I had expected it to be all the time, but an adventure nonetheless, because he took us to, at that time, we were able to go and see Lake Wai'au, which is one of the highest alpine lakes in the world. And we got to see the ad Quarry, where Native Hawaiians went to get stones for small to large tools, you know, for work in uh, for fishing so, we, we were able to see and experience a lot of other kinds of culturally relevant sites, you know, that were as magnificent as the Mount South, but the snow.
0: <laughs> the know. snow was a letdown.
7: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, what, what is it that you hope that people will take away from this book and the little story about snow angels That's, and sand angels?
7: My hope is that. Children, No matter where they are from, can recognize that where they are from has so many um, sacred and valuable ecosystems and um, living creatures and all of the wonders that are right in our backyard and appreciate and respect them. So although I didn't get to see snow, we did go to the beach a lot. And we did make sandballs and and sandmen. <laughs> <laughs> but I want them to recognize that it's important to have that respect and also to dream. You know, that there are places that are so wonderful in this world and for children to dream of seeing the faces that they are fascinated by, and I don't want them to answer, um, like, Disney World, Disneyland, I want, I dream that I can go to Universal Studios, you know what I mean? It's like what's in your environment, what's in your neighborhood, what's in your city or state or, you know.
0: Yeah, the grass is not always greener. The grass is not always greener.
7: That's right, that's right.
0: I did see real snow
7: when I was 33 years old.
0: And did you make a snow angel?
7: (laughs) No. I was sitting in a cafe in New York City, and then it started snowing outside. So, you know, falling down from the sky. And then I got up from the table, and I ran outside the door. Of course, everybody thought I was nuts. And I went outside, and I just lifted my hands, and then I opened my mouth so I could catch it on my tongue. Which, when I think back, you know, about acid rain, must be acid snow, too, and all of that. But you know what? It was just <laughs> the most glorious feeling.
0: Yeah, magical.
7: Finally see 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 snow falling from the sky. And then I went to Fort Collins to do a reading in Colorado, and then there was an after party. And the backyard was full of snow. And I said to the person hosting, I never made a snowman in my life. What? You never made a snowman? How can that be? And then they went and they made a snowman. And they started from one side of the yard and they just started rolling the snow. Like, you know how we roll out turf in mm-hmm. the grass in our yard? <laughs> like that. And they rolled it to one, the other end and then they moved it. And then that became the body. And then they rolled, they went again, they did a torso, and they rolled again, and they did a head. And it was that easy. We didn't, they didn't get sick, you know, like altitude sickness. <laughs> or it, it looked so much fun. Mm-hmm. And then they let me put in the coal and <laughs> the corn cob pipe and a button nose was in a carrot and... So you got
0: that out of your system.
7: <laughs> so I got that out of my system. Yeah, but I still remember doing that and I was in my 30s.
0: So this book then is kind of, I don't know, is a kind of a little uh, well, what's the word is it allegory? I mean it's a it, it you write what you know.
7: Exactly. So when you read book and the author is from that experience or has that experience becomes more than just a vicarious kind of experience. It becomes a known experience because we connect connect the larger of life's themes like yearning and dreaming and wishing. Those are universal. And love and respect, that transcends the story. So for me, that's what i hope books do for for children and for adults for everybody that the universal themes no matter how you see it or or what you see it if it is genuine i get the larger picture
0: That was Hawaii author Lois N. Yamanaka talking with us about snow in her new children's book. It's published by uh, Penguin Random House and is entitled Snow Angel, Sand Angel. That's a wrap for Tuesday. Tomorrow, we talk about public corruption on The Long View. As a taxpayer, what do you think about this bribery scandal? We welcome your comments. Call the Talkback line, 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. You can also connect with us on Facebook. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow, won't you, for more of The Conversation.